You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay, and in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. This is Ryan McCaffrey. That's Mitch Dyer. Together they make IGN's Xbox team. And this is our editor-in-chief, Casey Lynch. What's going on? Recently, we put up an article uh, on the uh, 10 bold predictions for Xbox yes. in 2013. It's going to be a heck of a year. Well, you think so? You know, I, I think it'll I'm be pretty good. sure. We're pretty confident. Yeah, I, this bigger is, than 2012, if you can believe it. This was the article here, but they are, you're right. Some of these predictions are bold, but there wasn't any sort of you know explanation for how you came to these predictions. So I was hoping to uh, maybe shed a, a little bit more light on some of these topics today. Sure. Let's just go through the list, shall we? Number one, you guys said State of Decay and Loco Cycle will be the stars of this year's Summer of Arcade. First of all, remind everyone what these two games are. We haven't heard start, about it. In, start in a with while. State of Decay. So, Mitch. State of Decay, as I understand it, is an open world zombie game, uh, Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, lots of tower defense elements with like crafting, and uh, I believe there's some vehicle stuff in involved. Lots of uh, survival elements like hiding from zombies and melee combat. Uh, very Building similar forts. to. Yeah, forts, all sorts of uh, survival stuff. So, if you know DayZ or the War Z on PC, similar inspiration there. Yeah, it's not a Twitch action game, there's, yeah. it's a lot deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And then Loco Cycle is by Twisted Pixel, the guys that do Explosion Man. Yeah, this is their first game. If you might remember, Microsoft bought Twisted Pixel right. uh, a year or two back. And this is their first game as a Microsoft first-party studio. And you know, Twisted Pixel is always, I'm a huge fan of theirs, because their games have some of the best character designs ever. Mm. I mean, it's the Maw, mm -hmm. uh, the little plushy Maw still sits on my desk. There's the, gu the, the Gunstringer. Uh, Ms. Splosion Man, mm -hmm. Mr. Splosion Man, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Comic, uh, Comic Jumper, yeah, with um, 
with uh, Captain Smiley. Mm -hmm. So their characters are always great. And so their new game is about a sentient motorcycle. It's it's sen crazy. It talks and it rides itself. And there's a as you, if you watch the, the trailer that's that's embedded in the article, there's it, you're dragging around the human lead in the mm -hmm. game, which mm -hmm. and there's no explanation given for this. So just given Twisted Pixel's very fascinating history and the um, the really compelling games they tend to make, it's I cannot wait to find out more about that game. And I feel like it's Microsoft, it's Twisted Pixel, uh, you know, their first their first game together. So I think they're gonna they're gonna put it up in some of arcade and really shine the light on it. Yeah, so that one makes a lot of sense. Why do you think State of Decay would be picked as well? It's a really ambitious exclusive, right? Like this is only coming to XBLA. Yeah. It's a big game. It's not like anything else we've seen on uh, Live Arcade. It's I, it's just like this complicated game that is more akin to something you'd expect on a PC. Like yeah. a lot like DayZ, right? Like you see these games come out and you're like, oh, that's maybe like a $15 full-fledged PC game. And it's been around for a while. You, uh, really savvy watchers may remember a, a game code named Class 3, Class 3, which is what this now is. Mm, that's right. And then at Microsoft's E3 showcase last year, they showed another game that's like a fantasy from the guys that made Toy Soldiers. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, the free-to-play game. What was uh, that called? Ascend, right? Ascend, yeah, yeah. Ascend New Gods. So we haven't heard about that one since C3, I don't think. That one will probably also be a summer of arcade. Good game. chance. There was like an asynchronous multiplayer element to that. Um, it sounded almost maybe like a card game that you would kind of play, like with the fantasy characters and stats and different uh, It was playable at E3. Stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it was really rough, though. So I, you know, we might see that one on or before some of arcade. But there aren't a whole lot of other... Forthcoming not, not actually that we know, that we know about, about either. Skulls yeah. of the Shogun is coming, but that, that just passed cert, so that'll, that's, be, that, that'll be soon. Yeah. yeah, but that's how it goes with Live Arcade. It's um, you know, it's not not often that we find out about them way in advance. They yeah. tend to they tend to come uh, announcement versus release tends to be a pretty short window. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, speaking of Xbox Live Arcade games, number two, your prediction is Shadow Complex Two will finally be announced as an Xbox Live Arcade launch title on the next generation Xbox. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there's, in that. There's, one. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. So Shadow Complex was 2008. I want to say it was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, it was a very successful game, very highly reviewed, sold a lot. Great game. Uh, I think it pulled home some some live arcade game of the year awards from various outlets. But then. But then Infinity Blade <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah. So Chair, Chair Entertainment, which is a um, actually I believe since Shadow Complex released, Epic Games, uh, of course, makers of Unreal. Purchase Chair outright. So Chair is now like Twisted Pixels, a subsidiary of Microsoft. Uh, Epic owns Chair, and so they've had they've been working on the Infinity Blade series because that, of course, for iOS or uh, iPad here has turned into a huge money-making franchise. One of the biggest games yeah. on the uh, the Apple ecosystem. And, and of course, Infinity Blade shows off the Unreal technology on the iOS yes. platform like nothing else. It yeah. was one of the first games to truly do that and provide Absolutely. that kind of AAA yeah. experience. Yeah, they've been featured at almost every Apple keynote event where they're showing off either a new iPhone or a new iPad. Like, okay, we have our new Apple device, and here's the new Infinity Blade game that makes it look awesome. Yeah. And so where this comes from is I have heard through the grapevine that okay. Shadow yeah. Complex 2 has been drawn up, sure. it's all designed, sure. it just needs somebody to make it because Chair has been busy with, uh, yeah, I mean, with Infinity Blade. So I suspect, given the love and the previous success of Shadow Complex, Microsoft slash Epic, they're going to find a way to get Shadow Complex 2 done, uh, whether it's by Chair or by someone else, using that existing design work, and we're going to see it as one of the showcase titles 
for Live Arcade on the next system. I would love to see that happen, but I think it's interesting that you even think Xbox Live Arcade is going to be a part of the next Xbox, because Microsoft seems to have totally lost interest in Xbox Live Arcade. You I think, think so? that's completely untrue. What I think they've lost out? interest in promoting it in the yeah. same capacity that they used to. Like, it's not on the dashboard as prominently as it used to be. Um, just by consequence of them adding so much to the, the live network, right? Yeah. Like, there's all these different apps and all these different things that they're trying to get out there to make people aware of that Arcade just kind of fell by the wayside. Well, and I don't think that's out of any lack of interest, because we're still seeing a lot of huge stuff coming. The one word rebuttal no I would have. No this week. Well, the one word rebuttal to your, to your stance statement, I think, is Minecraft. Well, yes. <laughs> so what I'm Live Arcade is still very much a moneymaker. The point I'm saying is that, uh, you know, who knows what the, the business model will be for the next Xbox. Downloadable games are becoming more and more uh, present. Absolutely. If, you know, it used to be there were retail games and then downloadable Xbox Live right. Arcade games. I think today and going forward that, that line is, is sure. increasing. Sure, and come blurred. next gen, right? So like it's like, what is the point of having a specific Xbox Live Arcade? Maybe it can just be games for Xbox. Right, like games yeah. on demand and Live Arcade kind of become one thing. Exactly. Well, yeah, I think that what's going to happen is it's just going to sort of be boiled down into the marketplace and they'll right. just be yeah. games. And yeah. it may not be, Some you know, smaller XBLA, than others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and hopefully the good thing that might come from that too is to open up the platform so that more developers can get on it and not have to jump through as many hoops. Well, that and the, the, uh, to, the price structure push. could break down a bit, too. You know, maybe a Shadow Complex 2 is more of a premium game might be $20, whereas mm -hmm. in today's marketplace, today's arcade, it might be 15 But we might see more games like, um, I don't know what a good example is, but you know, Anarchy Reigns is out this week. Maybe that's a digital download for sure. $25. Sure. And so I mean, we it's only have, 30 at retail. So. Right. But, you, you kind of see where I'm, yeah. where I'm going with it. Where we might see, not, as opposed to just $15 games and $60 games, we might see a lot more in between, sort of based on, that fits sort of what the game is. Mm -hmm. Now before we leave Shadow Complex, I, I think it's interesting about um, Shadow Complex 2. It's one of these games that may have gotten caught at the end cycle. Like, okay, so Chair is busy with Infinity Blade, but <laughs> right. how many other games are out there like Shadow Complex 2 where the developer says, okay, we could do this, but we're getting really close to new hardware. And yep. so what if we just work on these other projects and we'll wait for this new hardware to come? And uh, you know, we were talking about how we don't even know what games, what other games might be in the summer of arcade. We, there's so many games that haven't been announced. Like we look at our release schedule for 2013 and past June, like we really it's, don't it's know a what's happening. Yeah. yeah, it's because we're waiting on this new generation of yeah. of hardware. So um, yeah, I, I think that that's probably what happened amidst uh, everything else that was going yeah. on with Infinity Blade. So speaking of the new hardware, prediction number three. Great segues, by the way. Thank you. You are impressive. <laughs> uh, this is why you're the best, Damon. <laughs> Prediction number three. Said next generation Xbox will be publicly announced at a special event one month or less prior to E3 in June. It will be broadcast live on Xbox Live and the internet. So recently, uh, Major Nelson put up on a, a countdown, basically, yes. which we know is leading up to E3 on his blog. You know. And a lot of people thought that was a leading up to... An epic troll <laughs> well, <laughs> of the users. Be, uh, yeah. So you, you think the, the, the next Xbox will actually be unveiled before E3? Absolutely. There's no way Microsoft is sharing the spotlight with the entire industry. Mm. And this goes for Sony as well, even though I don't, I don't know Sony as well as I know Microsoft. Mm. They're all going to announce at their own separate events, I feel. Uh, and in Microsoft's case in particular, you can point right back. They're going to follow the Xbox 360 playbook where they can because that playbook worked. And that playbook was they had a half hour special on MTV hosted by Elijah Wood 
in about two weeks before E3 in 2005. He's, he's relevant again. He's around. He's uh, a TV show. So uh, <laughs> while, it won't, while it probably won't be on MTV or MTV2 or MTV anything, uh, I do think that they're going to have their own big event where the spotlight is belongs to them and them alone, and then E3 will be all about the games, the games and what can, those things sure. can do. But I think the actual, what it's called, what it looks like, is going to be in a, in a separate event. Typically, Microsoft holds an event in the spring called, what's it called? The Showcase. Spring, spring showcase. showcase. It used to be like a, it'd be like well, a fancy was, resort. Was, oh, you were thinking like XO8. XO, XO, whatever. Separate, so yeah. Yeah. They gave that up a while back. Yeah. They used to do that, so. Um, I don't think, I haven't heard anything, announcements about a Spring Showcase yet. Not yet, it's, well, it's early. Okay. It's early. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense for uh, Microsoft to go into E3 this year and, like you said, share. Um, I think the, the whole point of doing something early is to do it alone, yes. to do it totally controlled, uh, and to do all really a lot of the boring businessy type stuff uh, so that when E3 comes it will be about the games, but it will also be about actually seeing and touching and playing. Um, whereas we'll get the initial kind of, oh my gosh, pull the, pull the curtain off and this is what <laughs> it looks like, this is what it does, these are the specs. Um, and there'll probably be some game announcements with that first initial reveal, of course. The, the big stuff. Um, but Probably then, a sizzle reel with a bunch of tech demos. Lots of, a bunch lots of logos. Of teases, lots yeah. of like, hey, coming soon. So, you know. Um, but then E3 really will be about, you know, the proof in the pudding, mm. where we'll be able to, to see the actual system and play it. Now, I like prediction number four. I really hope this turns out, turns out to be true. This has been the one that everybody's been commenting the most really? on, yeah. too. Yeah, this is, We've been conspiring on this one for a while. Microsoft yes. will take a page out of Apple's playbook and officially call the next-gen Xbox simply Xbox. Losing the 360, not anything fancy. Not Xbox 720, not Xbox Infinity, not anything else. We'll casually refer to it as the new Xbox for a while until it's not new anymore. Take it away, Mitch. Uh, it just makes sense, right? Like, why would they go with Xbox? I mean, so when, when Xbox 360 came out, it was coming out alongside the PlayStation 3. The Xbox 360 had the 3 in the front. It, was, it sounded like kind of on par with PlayStation 3. From here, you can't really go Xbox, what, 4, Xbox... <laughs> 480. Four, right. right. So, Infinity... Durango. Yeah, Durango. Nope. I mean, we, we've been talking around the office that maybe Infinity, because Windows 8 is out, turn that sideways, Xbox Infinity, crazy, right? <laughs> uh, I just think it, it makes a lot more sense to go back to basics to just say Xbox for exactly these reasons. We will, we'll just talk about the Xbox. In addition to that, Microsoft's been rebranding everything it has with Xbox. We have uh, Xbox games on Windows right now. Windows 8 has Xbox everything. Xbox music exists. Mm -hmm. There's, everything is Xbox, Xbox, Xbox. Right, and it's Microsoft all about, things. and remember, Microsoft's goal from the beginning of the entire Xbox uh, gamble that they took 12 years ago has been the battle for the living room, living room supremacy. And so Xbox is now a brand, as Mitch has, has summed up. And so the next machine is probably just going to be the Xbox net because that will just be a simple identifiable brand that people that, that you know mom and dad and and just okay Xbox yes that's what I want Xbox I, I, I love it Microsoft is a 30 year old company 30 years I think somewhere wow there. we're old the Xbox brand is the only cool brand that company has ever had are you dissing Zune I'm not <laughs> dissing him I'm just saying <laughs> no you are absolutely I will no I sucked. Yeah, I think they learned a lesson from Zune, and I, we don't have to look far as well for like exotically, weirdly named uh, other consoles, i.e. the PlayStation Vita. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it completely makes sense. And it's convenient, too, that if they want to look for some proof in the market, they can easily look at uh, the iPad. Uh, okay, the new Xbox, number, this is prediction number five, the new Xbox will cost $400. 
in its most popular gamer-friendly configuration. Yeah. You say not a penny model. more. Although a basic smaller storage version will run you 350. Yeah, I you think uh, I, so. I look to I look to I look to this generation for that. Uh, I'm I'm putting on my Michael Pactor hat for this one, and the reason so with the 360, 399. Did great. It was huge demand. They it was remember when the 360 first came out, you couldn't find it for about four months. It was it was a very hot item. PlayStation 3, 499, and then of course the the main model, 599, <laughs> epic disaster. Um, 399 is the sweet spot. That is what what history has shown. People will pay. They will <laughs> gladly gobble it up. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, delicious, delicious Xbox. I, I don't, I don't think Microsoft will risk going any higher than that. They're gonna again stick to that 360 playbook. What works? And I know there's so much more involved to it than, than me spouting off the top of my head. There's of course how much do the components? How much does it cost to make this, that, and the other thing? They'll have to sell um, it at a loss. Like well, that, they, but that's in every single console yeah. ever, other than a couple Nintendo has made, has always been. Even now, the Wii U yeah. uh, sells at a loss when previously the GameCube and other Nintendo consoles did not. But yeah, I think 399 works. They're going to stick to that, even if they have to to take a, a little bit of a bath on it for a while. Now, the you say the most gamer friendly model for 399. Yeah, the, the, like, the, what, what's the, your prediction of what would come with that? Uh, I, you know, hopefully at least a 500 gig storage drive. What about a Connect? Do you think the Connect 2 will oh, ship with that's, it? Connect is coming with every single one, even the the cheap model. The okay. Connect is going to be is going to be universal, so that Microsoft can say to the developers, everybody has it. Do whatever you want, please. Do connect things, please, please, so, please. So now this this is interesting because I think that it could inform the order in which uh, these two companies, Microsoft and Sony, would want to actually come out with their announcements. Because uh, history tells us that Sony has enough bad sense to, once again, overprice the PlayStation 4. Uh, especially if they're going to try and make a play, which we kind of all secretly think they will, uh, to make the Vita become the analog to the Wii U gamepad. Right. Uh, so, for instance, if Sony came out the door with a bundle of the PlayStation 4 and the Vita at that 599 mark, Microsoft, well... Sony can that's, do it. That's not bad for a new console and a Vita. And I a Vita. think I would consider I, yeah. that. I just can't pay $5.99 for anything. I know. Well, but so if if that happens first, then Microsoft could come in with their their own presentation, the new Xbox. Um, See, you're doing it already. I know. I know. Yeah. And then uh, you know this you know sub one dollar uh, four hundred dollar price tag, and they could by comparison just you know look like a completely different proposition. Very true. All right, we're halfway through here. Number six prediction is the new Xbox will be released in November. Kick serious ass on both the tech bench and at retail store registers. What, do you, what is the tech bench? So I'm talking about the specs. Okay. Um, It'll be a cool system. There, there, were a, there were a couple of more supposed leaks that made the rounds online this week. We didn't report them because there's just nothing to substantiate them whatsoever. Yeah. But if there's any hint of truth to the numbers that have been floated out there, this thing's going to be pretty impressive. Um, Especially in a closed system environment, you know, a PC like you might if you look at it as a PC spec, it's like, well, it's you know, it's not too bad. But when it's a closed environment like Something a console, all it does is play games. Exactly. When when it's when you're coding exactly for that, and you know, every single one of your customers has mm -hmm. the, these specs, you can you can go to town on it. Um, so yeah, I think I think the tech the tech specs are going to be really impressive. Um, Microsoft has been. You know, the, the, a big success of the 360 was 
making it fairly PC-esque and easy to develop for, and developers jumped all over it. Whereas, as powerful as Cell is for the PS3, it took developers a long, long time to wrap their heads around. They're still and having so, problems with it. Yeah. And yeah, so even today, yeah. most yeah. games, the lead skew, the sort of pr the primary development happens on Xbox, and Microsoft's going to want to keep that trend continuing sure. with the next Xbox. Yeah. November makes sense for a release. I, yep. there, um, the, I think they're going to go as early as they can, because Sony wants to get out first, but so does Microsoft, so somebody's not going to be first. But Microsoft is in a bit more of a position to, to hang back this time if they have to. I just think um, they're going to they're gonna need every last second to, to build up the supply, to lock in the hardware. Because th Microsoft's challenge is doing enough testing and, and taking enough steps to make sure that we do not have another red ring of death type yeah. fiasco. Right. And it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, you know, rewind a couple years ago, and that's all people talked about in relation to the Xbox 360. And now, now it's and as now, if it never happened. Exactly. Right? So, To Microsoft's um, credit, I mean, the, the, the 360 Slim, the machine that's sold now, is, I've said this before, it is what the Xbox should have originally been. It is a, a rock-solid, dead-silent, wonderfully put-together piece of hardware. Wow, a, great, just, a great, great console. Yeah. Yeah. And the Vita is what the PSP used, or should have been. Yes. Um, now, you don't mention uh, where this would line up. I mean, obviously we can't, uh, but with Sony's launch, uh, I think, to your point, I think that Microsoft is going to go first. I think they're going to take um, a play out of their book from last year, where they came out the week before Call of Duty. Um, and I could see the, the Xbox come yeah, out know, like the first week of November so that funny. it's available uh, so that people who do want to play the new upcoming Call of Duty game, uh, which you know is coming and will be developed for next generation and 360, right, uh, will get those early adopters into playing Call of it's Duty. It's funny you say that because I was looking at the calendar trying to decide. I was like, I was thinking of starting an IGN office pool actually of when do we think the <laughs> systems are coming and we can, you know, just all put some money in or something. Winner but, gets one. And, and the, the great date on the calendar this year. You know, because most software releases come out on Tuesdays, and I guess hardware can generally be whenever, but Tuesday is a big day too. Uh, Tuesday, 11, 12, 13 this year, which is the big, you know, like a couple years ago, Skyrim came out on 11, 11, 11. Mm -hmm. uh, so 11, 12, 13 would just be perfect for somebody to jump on. It's going to be but a that's gonna be busy the, day. But that's going to be Call of Duty. Call of Duty is always, usually that second Tuesday yep. of yeah. the month. So, and I, I just don't see Microsoft launching the console on the same day as Call of Duty. Not hmm. that not that Activision would be upset, or but I just don't see Microsoft wanting to sort of confuse those two or, or compete with those two. So yes, I, I agree with you completely, Casey. I, I'm thinking if I had to add prediction 11, I'm going, I would go with that first, that first week of November, absolutely. Yeah. I'm getting so excited. Uh, number seven is Bungie's new game, Destiny, will be the headliner at Microsoft's E3 press conference and be the flagship title for the new Xbox. Though it will also be released for the Xbox 360. Yeah. Uh, so there's always that, that gray area in between consoles that we saw like with the last generation turnaround yeah. where there's like uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong on Xbox and Xbox yep. 360. Yep. So there's, there's not much speculation about this one because uh, court documents already leaked <laughs> it for us. <laughs> That's right. That so this stuff has already been covered to death on IGN. In fact, if you, you can click in the, in the story. Uh, for that old story about about those contracts and those leaks, and so we know that Destiny is coming out for the new Xbox, and we know it's also coming out for 360, and we know that it's uh, a PS3 version is is planned, but it's not. But 
the contract seems to state that Bungie can just be can can delay it or set it aside if they if if they just need to get the Xbox version done. Mm -hmm. And we know that after the breakup, the the after Bungie separated from Microsoft, that 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 Microsoft still sort of has the in and has the sort of first right of refusal on on Bungie's new thing. And we know that Bungie's in this. They're in the destiny for the next 10 years. They've gone on the record and said that publicly. So that's where the, I mean, the 360 version, they've got you know, 50 million people that own 360 that they can sell a 360 version of Destiny 2. But I think they're going to lead with uh, the new Xbox version and mm -hmm. build on that over the next 10 years. And Destiny 2, or whatever the, the next major release is, probably won't have a 360 version. It'll transition yeah. to. We do one. I think so. Yeah, we probably won't see 360 versions in much past probably like for like 2014. A, right, like a year yeah. after launch, yeah. as is usual. Yeah. Number eight is both the Xbox 360 and new Xbox versions of Destiny will be cross-compatible. It's all the same Xbox Live, after all. Yeah. So and like multiplayer? I think so, because we, what, what we think we know about Destiny is that it's a large-scale, not an MMO, <laughs> but a large-scale multiplayer game that is spacefaring, it's got ground things, it's sort of, it's a, it's a much larger version of Halo in that sense. And so, uh, you know, the new Xbox is only going to have a pretty small installed base for the first little while, that's just reality. Okay. And, but the 360 version will have a huge installed base, and so it makes all the sense in the world to use the exact same Xbox Live service to tie those two games together to ensure <laughs> that any sort of massively multiplayer component that Destiny might have, that, that the world is always populated with people. That's, uh, that's where I'm coming from on that one. Yeah, and it says something interesting about the ecosystem of, <laughs> well, we were just talking to Xbox Live Arcade, but their game service, their yes. online service. I think we're going to see that across the board. I think the new Call of Duty game will do the same thing, uh, which could possibly imply that the versions between the 360 and the new Xbox aren't going to be too different in the multiplayer. Yeah. Right. Oh, I wholeheartedly so agree. Functionality-wise, I think all of these games that come out on both will have to be nearly yeah. identical. Right, but yeah, they, exactly. they are, I mean, we know marketing people, and they will do something with the new Xbox version to say, play this one, uh, you know, for reasons other than the fact that There has that to be some bullet Exclusive point DLC! Yeah. 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 yeah, there'll be something uh, large or small that goes along with yeah. it, but it won't be in the multiplayer because that will be shared between both yeah. platforms. Then you predict that Alan Wake 2 and Forza Motorsport 5 will be two of Microsoft's biggest first-party exclusive launch titles for the new Xbox. Launch titles. Yes. I think so, in addition to those, you're also going to see whether it's from... Well, what's their new studio in Vancouver called? Uh, oh, I forget the name. It's like Black Isle. Not Black Isle. That's old. I'm blanking on it. Yeah. Sorry. Blue Rock. Why? Blue, Black Rock. Nope. nope that's that another dead studio. Anyway, I just anyway. keep listing old studios. <laughs> so Microsoft opened this new studio in Vancouver that they said is... Th these guys are going to be doing like the new Halo. Not literally the Halo 5, they're gonna do like the next flagship Microsoft title. It would make complete sense for Microsoft to come out of the gate with a new console, with a new IP, and say like, this is the future of Xbox, this game. In addition to old staples like Forza and Alan Wake. Well, that's, yeah, the, we don't know. There's no way one, they can launch but, with just sequels. But though. Forza is, I, I would bet Mitch's job on that. Oh man. Because, uh, <laughs> if you look here. Come on, turn <laughs> Forza, Forza, you can, Forza has been clockwork for yeah. the last number of years, every two years. And before anybody's like, what about Forza Horizon? That was a different developer. Turn 10's mainline Forza games have been every two years like clockwork. And uh, 
we've seen some job listings out uh, in the wilds of the internet that, yep. that seem to indicate uh, that, fo that that follow this up that, mm -hmm. that say, yeah, it's going to be Forza Five as a long. And plus, again, the whole my whole thing about following the 360 playbook, uh, PGR Three Project Gotham Racing Three was. Uh, a fantastic 360 launch, one of the best 360 launch yeah. titles. In fact, that game still holds up. That was a, uh, you need a racing game yep. to launch your console because racing games are super pretty and they one look at them and you go, whoa, I gotta have that system. <laughs> and so uh, PGR's gone, Bizarre Creations, sadly, rest in peace, is gone. Turn 10 is very much still around and so is Forza and I think you're gonna see Forza 5 as the, the showcase uh, look at me title, visually speaking. Alan Wake 2, I'm a little bit more skeptical about, although it would be a very pleasant surprise for me. I'm a big Alan Wake fan. So, so Remedy's been doing a lot of weird yeah, stuff. Ahead. Like, they have this, it, it's not official, nobody from Remedy has ever said, like, hey, we own this, but Sam Lake, the writer of Alan Wake, will constantly tweet links to this, like, blogger blog. Yeah, which is a just there, there's a been a, there's been a, a viral uh, almost, it's not, a, it's not an ARG, but no. it is, it's, it's like a... It's just a collection of poetry. That is very obviously written by Sam Lake because the author is Samantha, as Alan Wake though, as as Samantha, or, as sorry, yes, Samantha, yes. but is writing about Alan Wake, the person, hmm. and it's just this weird, vague collection of poetry. They tweet out all sorts of weird stuff, very related to Alan Wake. Lots of heavy hinting, <clears throat> and on top of that, this is this is going back a little bit, but maybe it might even be two years ago now, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, there was some, there was a news story that they're. They're working on, actually it was when L.A. Noir came out, they, that Remedy has their own next-gen facial modeling technique. You right. remember this story? Vaguely, yeah. That, that they're working on, that they're going to be showcasing in their next game. And uh, Alan Wake, by the end of the day, ended up doing pretty well on mm -hmm. Xbox. Yeah. It was a million seller. fans yeah. love it. So I think, uh, again, that's another one that it makes a lot of sense <clears throat> for that to be one of the showcase first-party titles on the new Xbox. And finally... Harmonix will have a big new thing for Kinect 2.0 ready to go at the new Xbox's launch. Not a Dance Central thing, something new? Maybe, but uh, I, the, the reason I suspect that is a, a somewhat little known fact about Dance Central 3, as fun as it is, it actually wasn't really developed by Harmonix. Hmm. They outsourced it to. Uh, was it Backbone? Correct. Oh, who they used uh, to do. Yeah, now they're gone. Yeah, yeah so uh, Harmonix oversaw the construction of Dance Central 3, but they didn't actually do the legwork. That was done by Backbone. Mm -hmm. Harmonix has been very quietly toiling away on some new project for since Dance Central 2 shipped, yeah. and so they are clearly gearing up for the next generation Xbox. The timing all works out, and you know mm -hmm. they, were, they were the killer app. Dance Central was the killer app for Connect 1, and they've been you know, they, they clearly have a very positive relationship with Microsoft, even going back to, to Rock Band. Mm. So, um, if, if you, they, are, they are at the forefront of, of Connect development, and I think they're going to they're gonna be the first out of the gate with something really cool for Connect 2. Yeah, and we've been seeing job listings from them for a while that talk about motion games and talk about they're hiring a combat designer for something, hopefully like a kung fu game, because that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that just popped into my head. Rock and roll very kung fu, happy. Mitch. Oh, man, that would be I awesome. I what you asked for. There was like a motion kung fu game for uh, PlayStation. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. awful. The one yeah. that like took your photo with the <laughs> yes. PlayStation yeah, eye. And then you did all your Ugh. moves. And... Ugh. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that.
lots of interesting stuff here. Lots of good stuff to think about here. It's going to be an That's awesome year. This this year for real. I mean, you're already you're already watching IGN. It's going to be the most fun year to follow video games and to follow Xbox since 2005, 2006, which is <laughs> coincidentally so, the last time we did. So this. console launch years are just fun. Yeah, years. it, it yeah, really yeah. is. And yeah, there's there's so many cool things to look forward to. Even you know, getting back to the first prediction with with Summer of Arcade and sure. State of Decay and Loco Cycle. Before we even get to those the the awesome run up to the new consoles, we've got the first half of the year packed with great games. Some of the best great. games of the entire generation, you know, GTA Five, uh, Gears Bioshock, of War Judgment, Gears, etc., yep. etc. Et so this this is going to be the most fun year we've had well, in the, a long, long time. The other thing that we're not even touching on is uh, other than Harmonix and some of the uh, the few games we mentioned is what what are the big third party developers going to do and what do they have you know, up their sleeves? And we just don't know. I mean, we already said the second half of this year is just a big question mark. Sure. It's going to be so cool to see, you know, are we going to get a new Fight Night game? Are we going to get, um, you know, I mean, there's just there's so many directions. Where's Rainbow Six? Where's yeah. Prince of Persia? Well, oh, for sure. But what about things that we haven't even heard about yet? You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, all, the new, all the new toys. Watch Dogs is just the first glimpse of, like, you know, what the next generation has. 1313? Yeah, exactly. Well, we can definitely count. We got Battlefield Four. Yeah, we've got oh, Modern man. Call of Duty, Modern theme. Warfare oh, Four. Sure. Those are both speaking to your point, Casey, about about uh, you know multi skew, 360 and new Xbox versions. Yep. But you can, yep. I, I would bet again, bet Mitch's job Absolutely. on oh, both yeah. of those happening. Oh, come on, sure. guys. <laughs> you're gonna be okay. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> we know what we're doing. All right. Send resumes for Mitch's job to <laughs> jobs at ign.com. <laughs> Thanks a lot, gentlemen. GameScoop will return after these messages. Stay tuned. Welcome back to GameScoop. Uh, today, Casey and I are joined by Colin Moriarty and Steve Butts, and we're talking about video game violence. Actually, a lot of the country is talking about video game violence right now. It is not a new topic of conversation. The subject of video game violence, the controversy surrounding video game violence is almost as old as the video game, video game industry itself. Um, but obviously, in light of recent events, recent tragic events, uh, shooting in, in, in Connecticut, uh, the topic has been brought back up to the surface. A lot of questions about what video game violence means, how harmful it may or may not be to society, to our children. There's some finger pointing. What, what, what's going on? What, what, what are people talking about out there? Well, I mean, everything that you said, for sure. Um, obviously, the, the tragedy that happened in Newton, Connecticut, uh, Newton, Connecticut um, uh, was, was awful and terrible. And when those types of things happen, as we've seen in the past, people are looking for an answer. They're looking to try and understand things. Um, and that's for the community, that's for the nation, and that's also for the politicians. And so, for instance, uh, this week, uh, Joe Biden, vice president, was tasked with putting together um, a task force that's going to examine legislation that could potentially do everything from ban assault rifles um, and uh, to look at the role of violent movies and video games in mass shootings. And uh, so this week, he's meeting with victims of gun violence, gun safety groups, hunting groups, uh, gun, gun owners, and then he's also meeting with representatives from the entertainment and the video game industries. Do we know which representatives these are? Like people from Electronic Arts? Like, uh, do we know who he's meeting we, with? We don't know exactly who mm -hmm. the people are that he's meeting with, but we've seen this week, even today, uh, different um, groups have been sending letters and uh, notes about sort of how they feel about it, their stand on it, and their recommendations. 
And this is sort of a topic that, like you said, we're always kind of aware of, and, and particularly as, as parents, which Casey and I each are, mm -hmm. you know, very mindful of, right? But this has been brought to sort of this national level of discussion by the tragedy in Newtown and, and Biden's call now for the video game industry to come and sort of answer some questions. And there's been some, conf there's been some debate about whether or not that's a legitimate responsibility of the video game industry. Some people are saying, no, we shouldn't do that because that would somehow legitimize their claim uh, or their assumption that video game, vi video game violence is related to real world violence. Um, on the other hand, some people are saying it's the responsible thing for us to do to help shepherd games through this debate about violence, uh, in which games are a focus, if not a direct cause. Now, in the mid-90s, there was a very public, uh, very public hearings on video game violence surrounding Mortal Kombat. Sure. Uh, I don't know if there were Senate hearings or, or, or whatever. There were, actually, yeah. And then that led to the rating system that we have today, right? Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was actually a number of hearings, I think in 1992, mm -hmm. uh, and the big game back then actually uh, wasn't Mortal Kombat, it was Night Trap. Uh, which was a Sega Saturn game, and uh, it had Dana Pl uh, Plato, I think is how you say her name, from mm -hmm. Different Strokes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was this big sort of look at how do these games influence real-world violence. And, um, and from that, the ESRB uh, was founded in 1993. So what I wonder is, you know, we have a rating system in place that categorizes games. Uh, it's supposed to let people know what age this game is appropriate for. Uh, is that not enough? Well, I think it is enough. I mean, just in the sense that, you know, when the ESRB came into being, when the you know, you know, Joe Lieberman and all these guys in the early '90s were kind of attacking uh, Night Trap and Mortal Kombat and all these games on Sega CD or in the arcades or whatever, the ESRB is a self-regulated gaming industry uh, group that that rates their own games, so the government wouldn't do it themselves because the government basically threatened that they would get involved if we didn't do something ourselves as an industry, and so we did, and. Uh, some might argue, and I certainly would argue, that the SRB in many ways is actually could be even too far, but that market forces dictate that you know a parent will buy a game if it has a rating on it, and so it makes sense, just like it did when the movie industry did it. But the government itself is not yet involved in rating our own games like they are in, say, Germany or Australia, mm -hmm. um, where there's direct, uh, I guess, direct contact between the government and the industry. So I think it's enough, and I think for most people, maybe even Steve and Casey's parents, it's probably enough for them too, because it gives them all the information they need on if a game is violent or has sexual content or drugs or whatever. So. And I really opinion. look for games with sexual content for my kid. I'm like, <laughs> right, and drugs. Yeah. Well, you know they're not buying those right, games because right, right, they're right. rated mature, they're yeah. rated teen, and they have I mean, an explanation but, of specifically why those games are rated that way. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting um, to ask if, if it's enough, only in that I think that it's still kind of a shorthand for the American public, for some at least in the mainstream. I think most people speak uh, the ratings for uh, movies. Like, most parents wouldn't understand like what R-rated means. I still think there's probably a lot of parents out there that when they see a T or an M, they might not necessarily equate that with a PG or a PG-13 or uh, an R-rated film in the same way that they do right. with movies. Because there's this assumption, and, and, and based partially in fact, at least given the history of our industry, that games are for kids, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and in a larger sense, games are part of the culture war that's been going on in this country for 100 years, you know, starting with... Um, you know, even like ragtime music. You know, these kids today listening to ragtime is going to rot their brain. And then that, no, I'm serious. I, I know, mean, but it's just, it's so. There were arguments about jazz, you know, just as there were about comic books in the 50s and about rock and roll in the 60s and about, I mean, Dee Snyder, you yeah, know, basically we were, we were went in front of this that, morning, yeah. that, the Senate and said exactly these same things. Like, this is yeah. not a legitimate focus for your discussion. Now, I will concede that games are an expression of our society's values, and I'll even concede that games can reinforce those values, right? I mean, a lot of violence in any form of media, I think, um, begins to become acceptable to people. But I don't believe that 
uh, it's a proven fact that you move from uh, sort of enjoying that as a form of entertainment to acting on it in the world, unless you're, you have some sort of damaged psyche, right? Right, and a lot of people, and this is where the debate kind of gets uh, sketchy, uh, they would say that that person would go out and do those things anyways. I think that the detractors of violent video games, violent movies would say, no, it wasn't that the person had the predisposition to go out and do that, uh, it was this thing that either put them over the edge or, like you said, sort of desensitized them to, mm -hmm. um, to thinking that way. But even in that sense, we have to ask ourselves questions about numbers, about grand, grander numbers, about people that play games, about you know, how many people are in the United States or how many people in the world that are playing games and you know, how many titles, you know, Grand Theft Auto 4 is at like 25 million copies sold. You can kill anyone you want in that game, you can run anyone over, you can sleep with prostitutes, you can do drugs, you can do all sorts of heinous things. If even one person blamed Grand Theft Auto on the heinous crimes that they might have committed or whatever, the numbers are still pretty good, right? I mean, percentage-wise in terms of, right? I mean, like, you know, one person influenced by... What an amazing by, statement. Well, <laughs> one person out of 25 million is influenced sure, by something, sure. so we all must pay. For it, yeah. like I think that we, you know, it's it's classic scapegoating. Um, you know, the uh, ECA, which is a consumer, um, you know, electronics consumer kind of advocacy group, released a really interesting statement today, um, and they had statistics in it. In 2011, they said 27 billion dollars in sales uh, for video games in the United States. Uh, crime decreased that year 3.8 percent, and since 2002, crime has decreased 15.5 percent. In the same time that Call of Duty and Halo have come to prominence, these violent shooters. So as games have become more realistic, as games have become more violent, as there are more people and there are more guns in our society, violence is actually going down. So there's no causality between uh, you know, violent video games and, you know, clearly there's, no, there's none between violent video games and the actions of a few unhinged people. And instead of looking at specifically why these things happen in certain circumstances, these tragic events, we often look very quickly and very rapidly and very hastily, I think, to try to blame something. And I think that that is just another situation. Like, like Steve said, we've, we've been down this road many times. You know? Well, well, let me say something real quick about that. And, um, and I think this speaks to one of the bigger problems within this debate is when you say that there's no causality, that assumes this position of sort of all or nothing. And I think it's really, um, that is a problem that we have had uh, where we just say, okay, here's one study, here's one uh, look at a statistic that we have, and therefore we draw a conclusion that says there's none. Like it's either all or nothing. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. And I think that we're, uh, we're very quick as an industry to um, just say, oh, okay, well, uh, this one thing says that it's, not, uh, that, that it's not contributing to the problem. And I, I don't know if that, that it works that way. I think that there's, there's, there's more room for us to discuss these things. Well, I mean, more importantly, it's, it's impossible to isolate gaming as a single factor in it, right? Like there are thousands of causes for crime of, of which games could be one. It would be impossible to say games have a direct link to it, though, when there's so many other things to consider, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's where I come down on this. I, I don't feel that uh, it's the responsibility of lawmakers to legislate what we have access to in terms of video games, but as a parent, I have some rules. Like, I have some guidelines that I follow, even in my own life. I mean, there's certain things that I feel like I don't enjoy, right? Um, I don't like games where you kill cops, for instance. And, but that's a personal choice. I would never force that on somebody else. But I do sympathize with people who look at something like Grand Theft Auto and say, here's a game where you're portrayed as the criminal and the whole focus of the game is to engage in criminal acts and they're worried by that. And I feel like we have to acknowledge that and have to explain the context of that to them. And I don't feel like we do it if we're opting out of the debate, right? Yeah, and that, that's really part of what uh, kind of caused us to want to do this specific um, topic today on GameScoop, but then also like, for instance, last night I posted a response uh, on Gama Sutra, which is a, a video game website uh, dedicated to covering more of like the business side uh, of things. Uh, their editor-in-chief, Chris Graff, 
posted a story that basically said, hey, we shouldn't be involved in these conversations. We should pull out. We, we should not talk with uh, Joe Biden. And, um, and I feel like that's wrong. I feel like that we need to have engagement and um, we need to talk about these things. And so Casey, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do to fill the gap between the assumption that games that promote violence as a cool lifestyle lead to acting out on that violence, right? Like kids see violence as cool, kids want to be cool, so kids decide being violent is cool. Is that, that, this is how you think some people think? Yeah, like, who, I mean, just, just, just to play devil's advocate, okay. right? I mean, I mean, this is the assumption, right? That games are for kids. Well, let, let's take this for, for a beginning. Games can create an impression on impressionable minds, right? I think we all accept that. We also all accept that kids are they impressionable. Can. They don't always and they, they don't, don't always, never. But, that's, that's, but, but that is a real, that is a real sure. component Absolutely. of what gaming is, right? So if kids are impressionable, then it makes sense that games can affect kids. Right. Right? Right. So, but what, what we then need to do is identify what we're really talking about. And I did that in an editorial that I posted yesterday as well. Like, this notion that games are for kids, I think, is outdated and old. Like, um, we've talked about sure. um, how when we were growing up, there was, you know, the NES and the Super NES and these games, you know, Mario and Zelda and whatnot. Those were clearly marketed towards kids. And things have changed. I mean, in 2013, there's so many different types of games, and I think there's very clear distinctions between games like Grand Theft Auto and a game like Angry Birds. Um, and I think it's important for us to reinforce that and to bring that back to the center of the, the discussion when we are talking about that uh, because there's more to it than just saying kids see something and they think it's cool, so what's going to stop them from doing that? And we need to begin asking different questions like why, um, why were the kids necessarily playing that game? Um, should they have been playing it? What, what was the context? Did they understand that um, this was you know, fictionalized and it was also really not put together for kids? Uh, because, because kids are impressionable, and I think... That statement, too, I think could, could use some digging into it. They're impressionable because they don't know how to understand and wrap their brains around what they're seeing in the way that an adult would. And that's the same reason why we, we have laws to keep children from drinking alcohol, say, because mm -hmm. their, their ability to uh, understand and be capable uh, under the influence of alcohol, say, for instance, is totally different than that of an adult. And I'm not even talking physiologically. Um, so, I mean, so getting back to games not being just for kids, I think that that alone really changes the, the discussion. And I think that there's a lot of these people, whether they're lawmakers, whether they're, they're experts, psychologists doing all these studies, I think we could potentially even be studying the wrong thing because, uh, or talking about the wrong thing, because if we can all agree that some games just aren't for kids, that really changes the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree in the sense, like, when, when you put your piece up, we were talking over text message back and forth last night, and, and I said that the piece resonated with me in a sense, not because I agreed with all the content, but because I agreed with the fact that we must be part of the conversation in the sense that, you know, it's not like a big kid table kind of argument where it's like, well, the government hasn't finally acknowledged us and so we, we need to go to the Capitol and talk about it. It's like, no, it's, it's you know, anyone who follow, follows politics and understands politics knows how bad the optics of something like that are if you say no, you must go and you must show up and, and acknowledge your invitation from the vice president and talk about things. But at the same time, to me, you go and you listen to all sides, but you also say, we can't as a group accept responsibility for what people do when they play our games because, you know, like you said, the Grand Theft Auto example is like a, a great, like a funny example, whatever, but it's true. If 25 million people play Grand Theft Auto 4 and one person says, this game made me want to kill someone, we don't look at the game, we look at that person. And we say, why did this person interpret this game different than 24.9 million other people that played the game? Maybe it's not the game, maybe it's the person. I mean, Adam Lanza is a great example. That, you know, that guy, the guy in Connecticut, he's a monster. I mean, what he did is, 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 is tragic. 
But let's look at, you know, let, instead of looking at video games, let's look at the fact that he, you know, he had a, a mental problems. He, he was, you know, he was diagnosed with, with Asperger's. Um, his mother knew that. His mother taught him how to shoot guns at gun, at gun ranges. He knew that there were 12 guns in the house that weren't properly locked away. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why he got access to the guns and why he used them in the way he did. And instead of looking at, like, wow, that's really tragic that his mother did that and didn't really look, look at the signs and be a parent, instead we want to say, well, video games, the violent culture of America, the Second Amendment, people have too many guns, they're too accessible, all these things, it's, it's too much for me because we're, we're not giving credence to the fact that everyday people, m massive amounts of them, are able to consume violent media and be okay, you know? And I think that it really comes down to parenting. I think it comes down to social and personal responsibility. I think it comes down to the fact also, like we talked about earlier today, that sometimes really bad shit just happens. And sometimes there are no easy answers. And sometimes there are no scapegoats. And sometimes unfortunate things happen. I think that's hard for a lot of people to accept. Well, and people want to find the one thing they can do to stop it. Yeah. Right? What's one thing we can do? Let's ban video games. Right. If banning <laughs> video games meant no more murders, well, I, I mean, I guess we'd I, all I find something guess, else to do, right? Yeah, I guess I can yeah. get behind that. Right. Yeah, that's not going to work. And to be clear, I mean, they're not just going after video games. I mean, the, their first order of business was to talk about guns. Mm -hmm. and, but then, I think it does make sense uh, within this, this conversation to look at what are potential causes, because we're parents and we're trying to figure stuff out. That doesn't mean that we just, again, all or nothing, jump to the conclusion that, oh, this, this guy played video games, so video games are to blame. Yeah. I like your point about personal responsibility, but I also feel like, as a society, we tend to try to legislate uh, against people's reckless abuse of their own responsibility, right? Like with drunk driving laws. Like, like there are a lot of people who drink socially and it's fine, it's no problem. There are a lot of people who are alcoholics and for whom it is a big problem. But we don't say, well, those people shouldn't be sold beer or wine or whatever, right? But we do have laws to keep them off the road if they are drunk, right? And that's sort of, that, that's an infringement on your own sort of personal or personal freedom, but it's for the sake of protecting other people. So I mean, I feel like as a society, we do accept that there are some limitations in terms of what we allow other people to do. So how would that apply to video games? Well, I think what they're trying to do now is figure out is are the lines that are drawn the right lines? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, to take your uh, drunk driving analogy to the next level, what if uh, people wanted to propose legislation that would prohibit people who um, have a drinking problem? Maybe they don't have a DUI or something, but they they wouldn't have access to alcohol. I mean, that could be some sort of preventative measure. Because the truth is, is a lot of these laws... So if you murder somebody, you're not allowed to play games anymore? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but, I mean, again, this is where it comes into just craziness. Because right. it's almost like Minority Report. Like, okay, if you could potentially do something, <laughs> right. then we're going to you know, put a law that keep, would keep you from doing it. And that's, like, how do you possibly do that? Um, I think what's important, though, is those conversations are happening. And that's why we felt like it was important for us to talk about it, uh, both in publishing those stories that we did, and then, you know, now... Um, whether we like it or not, whether we like the circumstances or not, whether we like the fact that video games are being talked about uh, in this context with gun control uh, and in this, this very quick panel, frankly, that's being put together um, and, you know, the conclusions are going to be presented on the 15th, which is a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Um, video games are being discussed. So I feel like it's a, it's a miss for us not to have our best minds uh, be involved in that conversation, um, especially, I mean... Like, we're so quick to say, like, games matter. Games are important. Like They're it's, art. Yeah, yeah, games are art. I mean, we will have these incredible discussions at length where we will argue about why games are so important and they're not just, you know, this trivial form of entertainment that uh, is for children. But the minute that someone wants to call us to sort of uh, defend what could potentially uh, be viewed as something that's gone wrong, we just want to say, oh, well, they're just video games. 
Yeah, it's it's a, an age-old response, right? It's like, games have a right to be provocative. We need to have an airport shooting level in Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. And then the second somebody goes, that provoked me. I think that was in bad taste. The instant response is, it's, it's just a game. game. Like, like why do you care? I mean, you know, and I can you can't have it both ways. Yeah. I feel the fundamental failure in all this is, is an unwillingness to at least assume the other side is well-intentioned and to try to appreciate their perspective, right? Like, they try to paint us with a broad brush, and I think we all too often try to paint our detractors with a broad brush, right? Absolutely. But in, in reality, we're each trying to do something that we feel is good, and if we're not striving to try to understand what that is on the other side of the table, then we're never going to reach a, a meaningful compromise on this or a meaningful context for the discussions to begin with. Yeah, and my position is this, is we've all, we all together, whether it's somebody who makes games, somebody who covers the video game industry, or somebody who just plays games, we all have a vested interest in seeing our hobby continue to grow and uh, just get better. And we also are very invested in protecting it because we love it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that these conversations are going to be going on uh, and that we wouldn't participate in them or that we could potentially just say, okay, we're going to draw a line and not be a part of it, I don't see how that furthers a conversation or creates or engenders a spirit where people would want to come and talk to us when uh, it would be somehow on our terms. And I don't even know when that might be, this notion that, okay, we'll talk to lawmakers when they're ready to talk to us about video games in the way that we would want to talk to them. When, when is that ever going to happen? Why, why would the government come to us and talk to us about, you know, we really... You know, I played Journey. I'm Joe Biden, and I played Journey, and it blew me away. So games are art. So I let's was high as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're all, oh man, I played Journey with Vice Press 420. Oh, he was man. awesome. He was and, so much fun. To be fair, that was a that was a tweet that Christian Nutt tweeted out this morning, and I laughed and I retweeted right. it. And it's like all caps. I played Journey. Now I get it from Joe Biden. But um, I just don't see that ever happening. And this is just one of many conversations. And. Uh, sure, it's in sort of a messed up context where we're talking about gun control and nobody wants to, people who make video games don't want to sit down at a table and have a conversation about uh, why games matter and, and the role of video games in society when it's in the topic of gun control. Like, that's just not, that's not where we necessarily want to be. And I understand that objection, but I still feel like we still need to have that conversation and be a part of it so that when we are having further conversations, we can go, well, remember back then we were, we were reasonable mm -hmm. and we, we were the smart fellows and, and, and you know, ladies and gentlemen that we are and we were able to, to speak clearly and in complete sentences and we made sense and let's talk more. But Colin, like we know from working on the internet, like you don't hear praise as often as you hear criticism, right? I mean, Yeah, the silent like, masses don't praise. That's human nature. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, in the sense, I, you know, I fall on the side, like you said, like, we can't use the excuse that it's just a game. But in the same sense, it is just a game. You know, just like it is just a movie, or it is just a novel, or it is just a magazine, or a comic book. At the end of the day, we have to differ differentiate between the fictional and the non-fictional. Real life and w watching an action movie, you know? It's really no different in the sense that if someone is really influenced by something like a video game or a movie or something like that, then we really have to look at those people as individuals. And the only thing that scares me about this entire conversation, and also intrigues me in a sense, is that we don't want knee-jerk reactions to scapegoat things. I always think about, you know, in the early 90s, people were spilling the, you know, McDonald's coffee on themselves. And, right. and instead of, you know, and they're like, this is really hot. And I'm going to sue McDonald's because this coffee is too hot and I spilled it on myself. It's like, no, dude, you spilled coffee on yourself. You know, so take some responsibility for that. You know, mm -hmm. know what you're doing and understand that if your child is playing a violent video game or looking at things that, you know, you know that they shouldn't be looking at, then that's, you know, kids are going to be kids and the kids are going to do that. When I go to my best friend's house when I was a kid, yeah, we look at his dad's Playboy. Sorry, Dad. 
Uh, you know, and <laughs> you're just now finding this out. And you know, and like, there's nothing you can do about that, right? right. But at the same time, so I mean, personal responsibility, I totally get, goes, you know, goes only so far in terms of, especially uh, children that that are still growing, they're still learning, they're still trying to understand the world around mm -hmm. them. They don't really understand. Uh, things as an adult does, and I think we understand that only when we're adults. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, these knee-jerk reactions where we want to look at things to kind of indict for all of our problems is dangerous. And it's almost a fight I want to have, because whether we're talking about gun control in the Second Amendment or whether we're talking about violent movies and violent video games, what it comes down to is saying a vast majority of people are able to own a gun, are able to watch a movie, are able to watch a TV show, watch The Walking Dead, play a video game, and be okay. But because very specific people can't do those things, we must all suffer and we must all uh, have rules so that we can no longer enjoy certain things. Because we already have examples uh, you know, in Germany and Australia and other places where you can't play violent video games. You can't have certain imagery. You can't have a swastika in Germany, in, a, in, in, in right. Wolfenstein or something like that. And the blood's uh, all green. It's, right, uh, exactly. It's and it's like, so we know what happens. We know where we get and, how, unf and how unfortunate that is. And obviously the German situation is very specific. Um, to you know, there's reasons why that is, and I understand that's culturally sensitive, and that's that's fine. But we know, we kind of know where that road leads, and I almost want to have a First Amendment fight in the United States about whether there's anything the government can really do to us, and that the ESRB makes sense in, a, like I said, a market sense, where you know this makes sense for parents. This goes far enough where it educates parents, just like the the Motion Picture Association rates their movies, and that makes sense. But how far will the government push? And I almost want to see that fight play out. The only way that fight can play out evenly and fairly is if we take part in it. And like I said before, and I'll say it again, we go to the table, we sit down, and we say, we are not responsible for this, but we are willing to be part of the conversation, but we are not responsible for other people's actions because these are video games. But you just said that you understand the swastika ban in Germany based purely on cultural sensitivity. How do you apply that here when, when values uh, are so relative, right, both across generations and among different groups of people? Well, I think. I mean, do, do we have a responsibility to be sensitive in a certain way and say, no, nah, let's maybe not have a, a, a Rainbow Six level set in an airplane after 9/11? Yeah, I mean, there's something Is that to be fair? There, uh, There's something to be said about that, I think, because I think in, in America specifically, we're looked at as, well, we're a product of a violent revolution. We've always owned guns, and so there's a violence in American culture. Just eight and, generations back, right? Very yeah, I mean, it's it's not yeah, far back. Right. I mean, we we you know the Second Amendment. You know the Bill of Rights. All of these things are there as a reaction to a violent revolution. Right. You know, and there's something to be said about that. Certainly, historically, but at the same time, I don't think that violence is a product of American society. I think violence might be a fact of a free society. That when you let people do as much as you know as much as possible within the realm of not hurting other people, that sometimes people make really bad decisions. They hurt other people. And, yeah. Right. And that you know, you and I said, and we don't disagree. We don't agree on this specifically. That I'd rather live in a society that's a little more dangerous and a little more unpredictable and a little more free than a society where nanny nanny state is all in your face. You can't do anything, and you know that maybe you're a little more safe, but you're a little less free, and you can't make decisions. I think that that's a powerful argument. You know, and. I think a lot of people out there think that's a powerful argument too. And I really am anxious to see this play out because the ESRB was like one step forward in, ter in terms of let's just, let's just start, let's start you know, litigating on this. Let's, let's see what the Congress has to say about this. Let's see what the Supreme Court has to say about this. Is there anything that can really be done about it? Because what they're really kind of pushing us towards is, is something that's worse than the ESRB. That's something a little more German or Australian in terms of the way they rate their games. And I'm just not comfortable with that because that does stymie creativity and that does stymie choice. And if people don't want to play violent games, then they won't buy them. But if you don't let them buy them, then they'll never, you'll never know what they want. You know what I mean? I don't know. So, so the trick in then is how do, you, how do you actually accomplish that? Because what we're talking about is, is a couple, or it's a bunch of different stuff. Um, 
I mean, there's plenty of heinous things that happen that are completely unrelated to video games. I mean, how many murders, how many acts of violence. Uh, Car accidents. Yeah, domestic yeah. violence. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I, I think it's like every 15 or 30 seconds a woman is assaulted. Um, I think every 30 or 60 seconds a woman is uh, sexually assaulted. I mean, terrible things happen all the time, and they're outside of uh, the, the realm of immediate sort of you know, video game or film um, you know, influence. But who knows, maybe they're not. I don't, it's, it's so hard to, like, to say like, what's actually responsible for, for what. And I think in, in these conversations or, or in the conversations that have happened so far, we're trying to prove some sort of, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to find something to blame. And instead of talking about several different things, um, we're, we're, and we end up confusing the conversation. So, I, I mean, I, I think that there's a way for us to talk about, okay, have video games or has violent uh, film or television gone too far without just connecting it carte blanche to like murder? Uh, well, or connecting it in the sense of saying, you know, a violent expression in the real world and a violent expression in the game world may have the same root in human nature. The problem is trying to externalize that and say the problem is not in us, it's this game or it's this gun or it's this whatever it is. Like, for example, Damon, do you, do you believe that, uh, let's just say evil, for example, exists independent of sort of personal point of view? Like, is there, are there things that are right or wrong that aren't sort of valid? Yes. Okay. In a general sense, yes. What about you guys? I, I know both of you personally. I imagine you both have kind of the same answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think that there, there's good and bad. Right. Yeah. Casey? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I necessarily subscribe to the idea that there's just general evil out there. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that. There's just some unspoken, like, in this room that, that is made up of 100% of something that somewhere over in the corner, like 5% of it is evil and the rest of it's good. I don't necessarily mean a, a presence of evil, but that some actions are independent of, of personal perspective evil. So you wouldn't say that, so our society says murder is wrong. Is it because we say it's wrong or because it is wrong? That's a great question. I, I mean, it depends. Is uh, what about the death penalty? I mean, that that's murder. So absolutely. Yeah. So and it, that's the objection that some so, people have. To, yeah. Is and you it's shouldn't so repay murder with it's murder. It's so subjective. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think the fundamental thing for me is like. But so to the, answer your question, I do think that that some things are fundamentally evil. Like rape is obviously evil. Right. Um, child abuse. I mean, right. there's tons of of things like that. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that they're they're evil as much as it's sort of it's, well, anyways. Well, maybe the connection then isn't that video games cause real world violence, but it's that video game violence and real world, real world violence may spring from a similar source, right? I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to concede that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, in a way, violent video games, violent movies, maybe even violent books or comic books or whatever, let you witness or play out something that you would never consider doing in real life or that you would never be able to do in real life or want to do in real life. You know, I don't want to pick up a gun and shoot someone, but I can play, you know, Resistance or Halo or something and, and do that over and over and over again. And there's something to be said about that. But I don't know. I, I, I just think that we're, I just almost think we're giving too much energy to the things that aren't real. You know what I mean? That like are real in the sense that we're playing them, but re not real in the sense that when I put down a game and walk on the street, I'm just I'm just me, you know. Like, yeah, but the storm of moral panic about video games is real, right? And it's our responsibility as advocates to shepherd games through that, right? Yeah, it's and difficult. some people some people will look at that example and say, for example, Damon, like like it's the interactivity of the game exactly. that makes it distinct from movies or books or whatever. Or worse, where, somehow because yeah, you're in or control. it creates a greater impression or a greater incentive for you to act on it. Mm -hmm. Or different things that video games do. Like some people will say that video games reward you for violence behavior. Like 
or violent behavior. Like you'll do something in a game, sure. you'll kill so many XYZ and you'll unlock a trophy or an achievement. Or butt stomp so many mushrooms. Ugh, right, geez. yeah. And, my blood. You know, and, <laughs> and you'll collect you know, so many coins. Um, and so, I mean, pe people are just constantly trying to find a way to understand these acts of violence. And I would actually upgrade your statement. I don't think that violence stems from uh, society uh, based on whether it has freedom or not. I think violence is just a, a tenet of human nature, unfortunately. And, that, and that's what people are trying to understand. They're trying to understand in this sort of climate of chaos, why would uh, a 20-year-old young man pick up a gun, kill his mother, and walk into a school and gun down, you know, five and six-year-olds? Like, why? And, and the truth is, is we may never understand why these types of things happen. And, uh, you know, just pointing at one particular thing, whether it's guns, whether it's video games, whether it's films, um, I don't think that that, uh, I don't believe that that's, that that's the answer, and I also don't believe that that leads us to ask the right questions. We've seen this before a lot in, in other media, we've talked about before. I got this book here called mm -hmm. The Sentient Plague, which I uh, checked out from the library when I found out we'd be talking about this today. And it talks about how this happened in the comic book world. And it's exactly the same debates. They went before Congress, they talked about it, they instituted their own ratings code. Um, and I just feel like it's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Like, this happens all the time. And, and maybe part of this is just the growing pains of this young medium. I mean, video games haven't been around that long. And it's going through the same thing that lots of new music go through, any other big art form. It's sometimes what I wonder, this is a little bit, uh, uh, you may, this may seem a little bit unfeeling of me, but I wonder if, like, the people that keep bringing up these concerns about video games, I think are older people who didn't grow up with video games. Quite possibly. Is there a time in the not-too-distant future when these people are aren't around and aren't here to bring up these concerns? Well, so, it's yeah, possibility. That is, and that's a great point. Like, um, we're constantly talking about as generation shifts, um, I mean, the paradigm of video games to our generation is completely different to that of our parents and then to, you know, people even older. Um, you know, what's gonna happen when uh, Gen X is legitimately like in the White House running the administration? And then even beyond that, um, I do believe that the context at least will have a different point of view. Because right now we're still in this position where we're trying to educate uh, the general population. There's still millions and millions of people, like we said, that believe that games are for children. So when they see something like Call of Duty and they don't even understand it, and literally they just see people just shooting people in the head, of course they're thinking, what's happened to video games? Well, yeah, but you get on a Call of Duty server, and how many 12-year-olds are there on that game? That's you the know? thing. Absolutely. You know, so we do have this rating system, yeah. but the, in reality, kids are playing these games. Yes. Yeah, and I think kids it's not, do play these violent games. It's not just that our perspective of games have to change. I think it's that the game development as a discipline has to grow up as well, right? Because right now it is very much focused on the adolescent power fantasy, right? I mean, in if you do accept that games were originally targeted at kids, it gave kids what they want, right? Which is a sense of power, a sense of control, and being able to beat somebody. And and. For me, I just want to say, I, I always think back to Legend of Zelda, and it just gave me a, a chance to like explore and go out sure. and have adventure, which I think is a little bit more innocent than like getting power and wanting to beat Sure. You. Exploration is definitely the other half of the coin, right? But most games are very conflict-oriented, and the easiest kind of conflict to design in terms of game mechanics is, I have an avatar and you have an avatar and I'm trying to destroy yours, sure. right? And so by its very nature, like that concept is violent, right? I'm trying to deny your right to exist in whatever game space we're in, right? I feel there's so many other game types to be had out there. You know, from Legend of Zelda to something like Journey. That, to me, seems to be uh, something we need more of, right? I mean, you look at the vast number of shooters out there, it just seems to be kind of an easy avenue for game developers. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Justin Davis, our mobile editor, was just a couple weeks ago talking about, like, it's hard to find a game where conflict isn't 
at the center, regardless of if it's violent or not. Because even in Zelda, you're fighting monsters, and Mario, you're fighting Goombas and turtles and right. all these things. And in Call of Duty, you're a soldier, and you're, and you're killing your foes um, in a very realistic way. Um, but yeah, I think that this might force us to spread our wings and find new ways to play. But at the same time, we shouldn't abandon the old things that we like to do because, frankly, conflict has been at the center of, of gaming since since it spawned. You know, even Pong is a one-on-one -on -one game where you're trying to trying to beat someone, right? right. So I mean, it, it goes way back to the very beginning, and I think that that's just because you know, even an, old, an ancient game like chess, mm -hmm. you know, is a one-on-one -on -one battle to to you know beat your opponent or whatever. It's just that that's gaming in a mm -hmm. sense. Um, you know, I don't think the answer, though, is to just say, okay, in 2012, there were 40 shooters that came out. In 2013, let's make sure that there's only 20. Um, I do appreciate people who do have the perspective that says uh, we're not opposed to more research. We're not opposed mm -hmm. to more conversation. I think that that's where organizations like the NRA fall short. I, I believe that part of their their whole stance in this is that they were trying to shut down uh, more research, saying that it was going to cost taxpayers all this money um, and that the, the research that's been done already has been conclusive. And whatever, this, we're not here to talk about gun control. Um, but I do know that there's a lot of people that um, that do uh, answer to that and say, oh, well, it's, it's either the, oh, it's just games, or um, this whole idea of, well, you know, the, the amount of people that actually respond poorly or negatively to games is so small that whatever, or people just sort of look over research. Um, I think that there's still stuff to, to figure out and there's questions to ask and there's, there's new ways to ask those questions. Um, and it's not even just that our industry is young. I mean, our industry is you know, 40, 50 years old, but the games that, that we're talking about, the really contentious games, they haven't even been around for you know, maybe even 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I still think that there's so much work and, and, and so much conversation that needs to be had. One thing we need to avoid is what happened with the comics code, um, where they came out with a very restrictive code mm -hmm. imposed on itself by the comic book industry that outlawed crime comics and horror comics, and you couldn't have werewolves, and you couldn't show disrespect for authority. I mean, there were all these restrictions. You couldn't do any of this stuff, and so the publishers just threw up their hands and said, screw it, let's just do superheroes, right? And so now, for 20 years, you have this medium that's completely attached to this one single type of content, right? And it only just in the 80s began to sort of get away from that. And I worry that that will happen with games if we're not part of it, if we're not making smart decisions, that games will suddenly only ever become about one thing, right? And we won't have this idea of, well, we can have a shooter and we can have an exploration-based game and we can have a vehicle simulator, things like that. Yeah, and that's why I objected so strongly under the, about this notion of, hey, we're not going to be involved in this conversation because it's not about us. I mean, it is about us. Right. And uh, if we don't have our brightest minds and our, our, our advocates out there talking, even if it's not a meeting that we put together under our terms, I think it's a step back. And it also, like I said, I don't think it does anything for us in the future when we are, or they are, uh, ready to have these conversations. Yeah, and I agree, and I agree the sense that, again, like we said in the beginning, you know, we could, we don't have to cede the ground that we're not wrong or that there's nothing wrong inherently in, in something that's fake. Like that's something that we make that like might influence someone. That there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. By being part of the conversation, doesn't necessarily mean we see that. I, like I said in the beginning, like anyone who follows politics know how how awful the optics would be if we were like we're not going. Tell people what optics are. You said before. Well, I mean, in, in, pol in, in politics, like the view, like you know, in the 24-hour news cycle, right. if someone was to say, if you know, the yeah, gaming, whatever, this this amalgam of people that are going were, were to say we're not going to be involved in this, then they would, the news cycle would pick that up immediately. The optics meaning like how that looks in terms of political and also in terms of society, how that looks and being like, well, they have something to hide. They don't want to be a part of it. Um, that's, optics is like 50% of politics. So you, sure. need, you, need, you need to be part of the conversation. And, right. And, 
And part of the objection to that is, is people don't like that. They don't like, it, feel, right. it feels bad that I'm coming into this. Uh, Defensive already. Yeah, like I'm yeah. already having to prove my innocence. We're not at a medium, we're not at a neutral point. We're not sitting here saying, okay, what's your, what's your perspective? Here's my perspective. It's like we've got, we have something to answer for because we've already been implicated. And, you know, and that's largely due to the, you know, the sensationalism that, that happens because of the old guard ma mainstream media, print and TV. They love to say, oh, someone's been shot. Let's go see if they like video games. Yeah. Well, this is the example I had last night on the way home, right? It's like, let's say you're in a room and there's a murder victim there. And in the room, you've got a video gamer, you've got a member of the NRA, you've got a mental health professional, you've got a member of the media, and you've got a teacher, right? The police are going to want to talk to everybody to find out what happened, right? And the person who says, I'm not guilty, so I don't need to answer any questions, is actually getting in the way of people figuring out what's yeah. going on, you know? Yeah, and drawing indirect ire. Uh, by saying like we're not involved, so it's like well maybe you are involved because you're you're trying to hide something just like you're saying. Right, yeah. And and you know I think that we can still have the failsafe, still have the big red button that says if we're not, if people don't want to hear what we're saying, the conversations in Washington are not going to go well, and they're already no, not they're going not. well. And, and that's and, part of the objection. I completely yeah, know that. And, and and I mean it's not going to go well because it's happening so quickly. This is part of American politics, reactionary politics. It's bad. We shouldn't be doing it like this, but we're doing it like this. But we can always have the failsafe even if we get involved in the conversation and be like you know what. At the end of the day, if you guys don't want to hear about it, if you don't want to hear our, our, how we feel about things, well, the First Amendment does protect what we're doing. And if, you want to have, and if you want to take issue with that from there, then we will. And then that escalates it completely. And then we have another conversation about it. A, a conversation, like I said earlier, that I want to have. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, you know, and then we go from there. But being, invo being involved in the conversation is a good thing because like Casey's saying, like Steve's saying, you then direct the conversation by, you know, as someone who knows what they're talking about, as opposed to Joe Lieberman. Sitting, you know, uh, never having picked up a DualShock controller or a controller with analog stick, maybe played an Atari one day, talking about how violent video right. games are, thinking that Mortal Kombat and Night, Night Trap are still the standard, you know? Right. And th that's part of the, the the cynicism, I think, from gamers and from the people who cover uh, the industry is that uh, the people who are the most vocal in these conversations and sitting at the table next to Joe Biden, they don't know anything about this medium and they, they, they make all of these assumptions and they've never played video games. And that's one of the criticisms and that's why I think gamers in general can view these types of conversations that happen where they're not and feel like nobody's standing up for us. Nobody's able to, to share these types uh, of experiences. And these people have no personal interest, no personal experience, no, no ability to say, yeah, you know what, I, I can see the value in, in video games, but let's still talk about it. And that's why we need to be involved. And that's why we need to, uh, even in these crummy situations, even when we know that we're going to go and sit down and... Uh, and they're not there to talk with us about what we want to talk about. We still, there's not. Right. We still need to be there so that, you know, and I'd like to think that this failsafe button you're talking about, there's also a social failsafe button which, which says, hey, you know, remember that time that we, we met in those really bad circumstances and you had to put together that panel? Yeah, that really sucked. And you didn't like it either. You had to, you know, in 10 days you had to put together this giant recommendation. That was a lot of pressure, I bet. And we talked and it was fine. But here we are now. Let's continue to talk and let's continue to have the conversation. When are these talks happening with uh, Joe Biden and... Industry representatives, or are they uh, already going on? Or? The, the overall sort of task force meetings are happening all week. I believe that the, they met with the National Rifle Association today, um, and all the different uh, uh, groups that they're meeting with um, are going to go uh, on up until, I believe, the 15th when he's going to make a, uh, a, a proposal about like what we can do to prevent these types of of murders and shootings from happening. And we're sending Colin to talk to the vice president. Colin for president. I'm going on record right now. I'll take care of everything. If I, if I understand correctly, <laughs> he'll, he'll tear the whole thing down. <laughs> if I understand you, I think your message to Joe Biden would be, come at me, bro. Come at, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's like, you know, we're here. We, we want to talk. We want to have a responsible talk. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what those nine guys in robes in the Supreme Court have to say about this if we don't, if we don't have 
if we don't solve this, I mean, something fundamental like our freedom of expression um, is really at stake here. And we shouldn't sacrifice, make easy sacrifices in the short term that would result in long-term sacrifices, whether our art or our ability to express ourselves or our ability to be free. And that sounds almost, you know, that sounds so trite in a sense, but it's not because it's not. there's little chips away at the ice block, you know, that, you know, chip by chip, you know, things like, and before you know it, you don't have what you used to have. And little things like this, little culture wars like this are reminiscent of the greater narrative about social responsibility, about a free society and all these things. It's important. That's why it's a good, it's a good time to remind people that the most destructive thing is apathy. And whether you are on one side or the other or in the middle, like so many people are on every issue, getting involved and talking about these things is what's most important because an apathetic society uh, is, is the worst. It's the worst. And it's, it's, that's why it's important that we have these kinds of conversations. Even when my dad's calling me, asking me about games, not knowing about the gaming industry himself, the fact that he's talking about it is, is new and, and, and fresh, frankly, in, in, in American polity today. He's going to call you later about the Playboy thing. Yeah, sorry about that, Dad. I couldn't help myself. Uh, this conversation is obviously going to continue both on IGN and uh, across the country. You can continue to be a part of the conversation here on IGN. Let us know in the comments below uh, what your thoughts on all this business are. And uh, keep checking back in the near future for all the latest updates on this ongoing hot button topic. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.